Welcome to On Belonging, an audio series to connect us. On Belonging explores why so many of us are feeling called to find a deeper sense of belonging, whether with our ancestors or to the land where we live and beyond. These powerful stories and conversations are an invitation into the lives and landscapes of the guests' worlds, offering pathways towards remembering and finding more belonging. The following features Sophie Macklin in conversation with Carla. The rhythm of ice sheets growing and receding, sea levels rising and falling, birches and pines traveling north, great plains becoming seas, apocalypses coming again and again in different colors, humans singing to these rhythms with rituals of ochre, weaving, whalebone and fire, we are made from this. In long arcs of time, Things like racism, transphobia and ableism become not immovable behemoths or telling reveals of human nature, but strange, temporary and compostable. We see that there was no natural progression from one stage of history to another, but that civilization, capitalism and any of these soul-destroying ways of living have not only just been recently created, but also resisted at every turn. That just because something becomes dominant does not make it natural or even total. There are always gaps. There is always multiplicity. There are always other ways. Like mineral deposits and peat bogs, these nutrient-dense containers of knowledge are passed down to us and living through us in countless ways. We find clues in books, stones, songs, pottery, volcanoes, lichens and rabbits. We also find it in gesture, inflection, nerve endings, and desire. We consider the gods and otherworldly beings, folk traditions and customs, the magic in the land, and our own bodies as sites of knowledge-making and possibility, following threads of desire to places at once very familiar and very strange. As we become multilingual, speaking not only empire and separation, but flowers, dreams, magic, memory, beauty, we become hybrid. Like an earthworm in the compost that's eating the apple peels and creating the fertile nutrients for the soil and the garden, we too translate. What do we bring with us as we make and unmake the world? What worlds do we find in the past? What worlds do we create with the material we find and are made of? Hello, Sophie. Thanks for being here. Your work is so grounding and so important for this conversation, um, this conversation on on belonging. And um, you bring such insight. And so we're just so grateful that you're here. Thank you. If you could just maybe um, introduce yourself in space and time and and however you want to identify and share with with our um, listeners and maybe connect it to ancestry if you if you choose to. Okay, thank you. Um... 
It's funny. That always feels like such a big question. And especially when you say through space and time, it just my my brain goes to some kind of cosmic level. <laughs> I'm from everything in space and time, um, which is true. Like like all of us, I'm descended from, <laughs> from everything ever and inhabiting uh, inhabiting the cosmos with everyone else. Um, but specifically, um, I was born in a in a town in Kent and I grew up in Canterbury in Kent, which is sort of a what's well, I guess it's quite famous for having like a cathedral and the Canterbury Tales and all that. And it's a very pretty historical town um on the banks of the River Stour, um, which is a beautiful chalk stream and was very important to me growing up. Like I would spend quite a lot of time going in it sometimes bunking off school and going to it and just looking at it and thinking about it and so yeah so I'm from from there um and when I was 23 I moved to California um to Santa Cruz first and that shaped me quite a lot too like I was immediately part of the anarchist community there and kind of living in the forest and yeah, just really shaped by the experience of um, meeting those people in that place. And and then I spent 15 years in California being very shaped yeah, by the land and by the people there. And just under a year ago, I moved back to, to Kent, to where I'm from. And part of that was to be with my family, um, like wanting to be close to my family as they're getting older and, uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And that feels connected to this too, like in terms of ancestry and belonging and just really feeling yeah, like I wanted to be part of my family while they're living as well as connecting with ancestors who are on the other side. Um, And also with this land, like I feel like when I was growing up here, I really hated England and I hated um, like the school structure or just like sort of cultural norms and always kind of describe it as that I ran away screaming, like I just didn't want to be here. And I feel like it's taken a lot of like life and learning and relating and stuff to be in a place where now I can sort of come back here and and love the land here so much despite it being so much more kind of uh I don't know inter- interfered with I want to say than like land in California or something you know there's so so much like uh so many fewer um like forests or like um like sort of wild places but now I feel like the depth of my connection with this place and with the history of this place um, and with the specific plants and animals in places is kind of enough. Like it, it feeds me enough and I feel connected here. It's really connected to this conversation that we're having because it is about, you know, part of the framework that we're trying to get at is like thinking about belonging to the land where you are and mm-hmm. what that means. And, you know, like it, including um, more than humans and so, uh, so that's beautiful, and um, to and I think it probably deepens your work a little bit because you're like literally doing the thing that you're teaching, which we're going yeah. to get into. Um, I flew away. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Moving on, as uh, Donna Haraway says, it matters what stories make worlds and what worlds make stories. It matters what concepts we think to think other concepts with. Um, And I really, you know, gravitated to your work because I see that there's so much care and, um, and consideration put into the concepts that you, that you anchor your work in and you root it in. So I'm curious uh, why, you know, one of the things you talk about is unmaking and making worlds and why that's important. And I think probably connected is, Maybe you could look at some of the key concepts or share some of them that are the foundation to this work. 
Okay. <laughs> Big question. <laughs> I'll try and go through those. those yeah. Things. Or however, I just, yeah, yeah, the kind of the concepts and, and why, you know, storytelling is all weaved in and why it's important. Yeah, thank you. No, I know I, lo- I love the question and, and it's layers. Like it's interesting that you um, bring up Donna Haraway in the in the context of this and that um, that particular quote, which I love and have, have shared in my classes. And funnily enough, actually, we're talking about moving to America. I moved to America and I won an essay competition <laughs> um, that was at my university to get a scholarship for a year abroad in California at UC. SC, um, which I then dropped out after a couple of months and lived in the woods. And that was that was my university career, but it, it got me that. Um, and it was actually an essay that was about like situated knowledges, which is a Donna Haraway concept. So it was kind of literally my like entry <laughs> to, um, to life there was through that. And I feel like that way of thinking of like, um, yeah, how knowledge is situated and contextual and constantly kind of iterated and created through relationship and through experience and how those thoughts then go on to shape like the next things or they make um, different things possible depending on what they are. Um, and I feel like that had a big influence like on my politics um, as an anarchist and on my like relating with, um, yeah, with people, with plants, with animals. Yeah, that idea that it matters what we're thinking with and seeing how that creates worlds. And uh, yeah, you're mentioning the sort of world making and unmaking, which, yeah, was a concept that I was really exploring in my last class. And I think that that's kind of important to me because it like, for lots of reasons, but one of the things I love about it is it really shows that we're kind of always in an active process of making and unmaking worlds and that we're not objective observers somehow disconnected to what we're observing but we're participating we're making and we're unmaking and it kind of reminds me of that um Bakunin quote that you see on again like anarchist houses and posters everywhere of like the urge to destroy is also a creative urge or something like that <laughs> I'm like slightly misquoting it but um that we are in processes of destruction and creation and that for the kinds of things that we are wanting to do in the world that both are kind of necessary um, pieces so yeah and I think within that making and unmaking like acknowledging like our active participation and also that it is only participation that like we're not the main characters there's many other things making worlds with us like human and non-human historical past present future that are are kind of involved in the making that we're um, involved in and in the unmaking and that like the systems that we're part of like systems of oppression are kind of upheld through a process of co-making then not something that kind of exists outside of that Um, and so humans created capitalism or whatever and we can uncreate it we can do something different and so I think highlighting the making and unmaking is is part of that I feel like one of the most important things for me is looking at how the way that we've been taught um, things are, what is just natural about human nature, that we're like selfish and um, always prioritise self-interest in this rational economic man sense, or that uh, gender is essential and natural the way that we've been like taught to understand it, like binary gender, or just anything that this isn't true that these are 
actually historical creations and that there's been like different projects of say like colonization or of enclosure and capitalism um, that have created things that seem normal and natural today but they're not and that people in different cultures or people throughout time have done things really differently and we can learn with that and and do something differently now um, so that feels like a really key thing that shows up in kind of whatever topic I'm doing like I have my class that's about um uh sickness and disability and mysticism and, and anti-capitalism but it's still coming from that same thing of how did we get these norms about um what it means to be able-bodied and disabled like in a or just or ideas about usefulness and productivity where did they come from it's not just something natural and how can we do something else so that that's a really important thing another thing is this concept of attention like paying attention and really just being with what's true like not acting from what we think things should be like or um, relating to someone how we sort of think they are because they are like this or whatever but really choosing to pay attention and relate to people and others and things from a place of being willing to be surprised or encounter newness or yeah and through that kind of create the type of intimacy that's available from actual connection because I sort of believe in that so politically that's from that sort of like connection and intimacy we can we can do different things I'm sure there's lots of others (laughs) yeah and I'm sure they'll come up in the in the yeah. conversation here. Um, that's so beautiful, and I, I really love the what I see the thread that runs through your work is that that thinking of through or being with time in this really nuanced, deep way of you know I think it's called like time binding when you grab stuff from the past and mm-hmm. and and from the future and you weave it into the present, and so it's like your work so deeply nuanced but yet so grounded at the same time um because it's yeah we gotta like unpack these norms but we also gotta be with what is and like listen to the people in the room and um that's Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of uh, patience and and care um including our relationships with plants and fungi and um, animals yeah thank you it's funny because sometimes it sounds really simple when you think of just like paying attention or something but when you like actually do it or I tried to do it, try to practice that in a world that is kind of running on the assumption that we won't do that or that creates lots of ways for us to not do that. Like it really does create different possibilities just to do that simple shift into into being with that. But yeah, sorry, go on. No, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um and it really, you know, it I think it's really a good grounding place to go into your work from um because both your the workshops we're going to dive into really connect to this project on belonging. But the one beyond the blood workshop was the one that really stood out to me at first. And that's one of your earlier ones. I love that you begin with affirming all the wonderful aspects of reconnecting to our ancestors and folklore, but you also point to whiteness and how fascism is lurking amidst this journey of reconnecting. And, you know, like, like you say, fascist love, uh, nothing more than white people connecting with pagan ideals and, and whiteness. Um, um, yeah. Can you share some of the seeds and happenings that led you to do this work and offer this course and, and maybe speak to what some of your findings have, how we can navigate this interplay of finding ancestral belonging um, on the one hand, and also grappling with this white supremacy. I know it's a very big question. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big question, um, but thank you for it. Like I, yeah, obviously, 
that's the that whole class is about that and it's, it's like um uh, there's a, a lot to say but um yeah like I think that you know for me too I was living um well on Tongva land in Los Angeles most recently and um also grappling with those those things of what it means to be like a white settler in a colonial situation and sort of connecting to ancestral traditions or like earth-based traditions or something like that and seeing a lot of people around me for the last maybe like 15 years or something really wanting to not like culturally appropriate and having like a strong ethic of not wanting to like steal from indigenous cultures especially and just really interrogating that kind of entitlement to others traditions coming from like white people and stuff and seeing this move towards looking towards like European European ancestral traditions or something and I think there's something that's obviously really beautiful about that and kind of coming from that place of really wanting to be able to show up in solidarity with Indigenous people or just like finding these ways to be more rooted in something um, and coming to the conversation from there and also just people looking for ways to yeah, connect with the land when we've been raised in cultures that generally haven't fostered that in us or haven't shown us how. And, you know, we're really starving for that often and looking for that. So I think the way that people have been looking for this and creating sort of crafts or rituals or songs or, you know, or just like cultures that are kind of interpreting, like um, engaging with this is really beautiful. But yeah, like you said, like it also um, overlaps with a lot of kind of uh risky <laughs> risky territory in terms of fascist stuff like I think a lot of people don't have any idea of that often unless they've sort of been uh confronted with it before like how even like the Nazis like the German Nazi Nazis were um into ecology and um like natural medicine and <laughs> connecting to the land you know like there was a lot of stuff that is I think just just not thought about that much and then how we see like in kind of resurgent fascist movements um over the last sort of 30 years maybe like in a more sort of quiet way but louder in the last five or so so yeah I think some of the places this drive to sort of look back to the past for these really clear instructions of how things should be and I think there's again like I was saying that like people there's a sort of honourable or sort of good um, impetus for that of like looking for these different ways but I think that when we approach the past as something that we can that is static enough for us to uncover and find a right way that leads into the type of thinking that's very um, complementary with a kind of like uh, fascist Nazi like looking for this idea of a purity and a sort of idea of like what is an essential human nature how should we live what is like this true right way to be and we see that come up in like um gender stuff especially thinking of kind of uh fascist ideas of you know a sort of virile masculinity and a very kind of uh motherly uh docile femininity and very binary and this being like this essentialist thing 
this idea of like, this is what humans are naturally like. And I think we need to be suspicious. Basically, anytime we hear something about humans are naturally like this, look at this thing in the past, it proves this point about that. Um, And Nazis have obviously used that to sort of the biggest and most dramatic violent effect. But I think that it has like dangers, like even um, on a kind of small level. And I think the way we've seen like um, anti-trans stuff really pick up in the last few years and uh, TERFs doing work with far-right people and stuff like that to get legislation passed um, makes a lot of sense. And so I think that's one of the ways it can show up. I think also with ideas of um, ethnicity and sort of national identity, that um, this idea that I think exists in sort of with white people looking for something um, in Turtle Island, especially like looking at European nationalisms as kind of somehow quaint and okay. <laughs> compared to like Canadian or American or something like that it's like oh no it's like Lithuanian it's Irish it's English it's uh, French like whatever um and not seeing the harm that's created through those national identities too um and how I think sometimes there can be like a real strong longing to almost get rid of the guilt of whiteness um and instead claim a kind of um, oh, I'm Indigenous too. I, my family is Indigenous to Ireland. Family's Indigenous to Norway. And the first person who kind of spoke publicly about white people being Indigenous in Europe, like to, to Britain, was uh, this guy called Nick Griffin, who's the leader of the British National Party, a fascist party. Um, and he kind of started this whole thing about white people are Indigenous to Europe too. And I think that looking at the sort of like history of how fascists are using these things and so happy that people are really getting into these ways of thinking and talking is kind of illustrative of 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 the problem too like I think looking at something like the word indigenous um, and thinking of what does it mean when white people use it how does its meaning shift and change how is power operating in that like how is white supremacy wielding the word of indigenous indigeneity to gain more power in a social situation or something um, or in material big situations yeah there, there, there's a real danger there um and i think that's the thing with whenever we're doing any of these kinds of things, like if we're doing the work of reconnecting with our ancestors or connecting with the land, that we are doing it in the context of colonialism, capitalism, white supremacy, police violence, all these things. And to kind of remember that and to see that like, what do, what does the work we're doing in this group or what is this? How is that engaging with that historically created and real thing that's happening now? Like, who does it serve to say that I'm indigenous? <laughs> for example, as a white person and like, who does it not? And like, what are the impacts of that? And yeah, I feel like we've really seen, we're sort of living with the escalation of that right now in terms of more kind of, in England for sure, like a much more loud uh, xenophobia and sort of racism, like a sort of much more socially acceptable racism. Obviously England is always structurally racist (laughs) through time, but recently there's kind of more social acceptance of it it seems and I think that that's coming from some of this stuff of you know the what about white people too thing and so much of the kind of European ancestry world feeds into that. Yeah and I really appreciate you bringing up essentialism and and where it leads yeah I mean the short of it is is that on this this sort of impulse to want to find belonging through your ancestral connections 
is is a good one. Yeah. To be thoughtful and and um, consider how your power plays out in that journey. Yeah. And I think another thing that is important when we're looking at the value of like connecting with our ancestry in the past, I think we're often thinking of it in these lines, you know, like um, like down our maternal line or paternal line or these family trees where it's someone to someone to someone to someone. And I think that kind of limits us. And can I think when we sort of then look to the past, we start going into these very specific regions or very specific people when actually we're descended from a lot more than just our blood family, if you want a better word, you know, like that we're descended from the different things that made them. And then we're descended from what made us and it goes beyond the human um, and it's humans who aren't in that tree. And I think that when we can connect with that kind of belonging to an ancestry that's much deeper than just these lines, um, it puts us in a much more robust position for like, not falling into the fascist traps of these oh I'm essentially this kind of person like a thing that um and it's a thing that's sort of happening near to me at the moment is um there are these groups who think that you can only practice say like Norse paganism if you have uh northern European blood and I I would not use the word blood but that's how they describe it and that people who don't have that kind of blood or whatever shouldn't be practicing those traditions like they don't let people come to their um rituals and then I see people who are kind of more closely connected to the subcultures that I'm part of seeing that as somewhat acceptable because it's like well yeah people you know have this connection through their blood and that's the sort of place that people find belonging um and I think it probably goes without saying like all the things that are dangerous about that that line of thought and that we just have to really look at how um we're descended from from a lot more than this idea of blood and because what does that even mean but yeah okay Thank you so much for that. I always have a impulse to want to use descendant more than ancestor because I always think I always think beyond linear time. So I think about my descent, my future descendants, and I always think about yeah the the non nuclear family. You know, you know it's very rhizomatic the way you're thinking and also cosmic. And yeah. I've never had it explained that way before. So um, my intuition was correct to call it descent, <laughs> but I didn't know why I was doing that. So thank you for that clarity. So <laughs> deep. Yeah, thank you. And it kind of connects to, you know, this idea of um, playing with time because your your newest uh, offering uh, is called Fragments of Roots and Bones. And you go deep into time, really. And um, and it's a, like a non, non-linear time that is an engagement with the past and future and how it all weaves into our lives today. So I'm wondering if you could, I mean, you already spoke a bit, but can you tell us why this new iteration and articulation needed to happen? <laughs> and perhaps talk about the course and its significance to maybe finding our pathways to belonging. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it almost feels like it's like a part two of Beyond the Blood. Like it feels like a sort of continuation of that class in a way, partly because in Beyond the Blood, because we spent a lot of time like looking at some of the stuff that's been happening or what's the sort of fascist influence on things or historically how things have been created. There was never enough time, in my opinion, for us to go really into the sort of what we do instead. Like there are a few weeks on that, but um. I wanted to just really explore that of what is it like to explore um, 
yeah, belonging to place and belonging to time is something I think about quite a lot, how we don't just yeah belong in place, but we're kind of like rooted always in um, webs of lineage, like constantly. And we are part of the future too, through that. I loved what you just said about descendants too, because it's whatever we do, you know, and not to do with like whether we particularly have children from our bodies or something like that, but just we are part of creating the future. We are inheriting the past. We're always belonging to time. Um, and so I wanted to explore that. And also with this idea of making and unmaking, I wanted to look at what it means to like look at the past, not as something that is this fixed, static, um, objective, observable reality that we can go and like take things from that are like whole and entire. And then we just bring them to um, and then we do them now, you know, like <laughs> and, and just like carry on or something. But to look at what it means to see the different ways that things in the present shape what we see when we look back and what are we literally doing like whether we're reading a book that is what somebody else you know based on someone else's research or something or if we're looking at like a fossil like I found a really amazing fossil recently that's I think it's like 75 million years old or something like that and like what happens like when I'm holding that in my hand and looking at that and looking at this imprint of this creature that lived that long ago what is the actual relationship and what am I learning and what's what's happening there and also just yeah when we are looking in books and hearing songs or something from folk songs that were written down say in like the 1500s but were probably older like who are we hearing that from and what do we make with it in the present and how have power structures across time or just people's choices across time shaped what gets passed on to us and then what do we do with that so really looking at sort of all the ways it's it's complicated but how that's not something that is bad you know because I think sometimes people think that that sounds worse and the sort of fascist presenting of things is more simple I think it ends up being appealing to people but I think looking at this complexity is like a gift that we get to co-create with these um these ancestors or these stories or these places and create something beautiful now so yeah looking a lot at it through those lens through like disturbance as kind of an opportunity and intimacy with time like really looking at how we relate what it means in our bodies what does it feel like how are our ancestors or like and again not just people who like birthed us but um everything that's gone into making us how is that present and how I'm moving my hands or my face or like what I see when I look at you and um that these are very embodied ongoing realities that we're co-creating with That's so deep and so necessary. Like I just, you know, I mean, part of part of how empire wields ongoing power is to have kind of a, um, a, a historical amnesia, or mm-hmm. or making it very linear and set in stone. And so this work, I think it's it's you know acknowledging to use a phrase my friend uses, acknowledging our radical histories and uncovering the, those histories. Um, just in general is important, but to do it in such a deep embodied way is, I think, really, I mean, I think it's going to do the work of potentially really undoing these narratives. And you can see it happening. You can see it unearthing around the world. So um, thanks for doing that work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I hope to be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like my past is doing that, but I'm, I'm happy to be a part of like reflecting what, what's happening. Um with a yeah. lot of people kind of asking these kind of questions or like, yeah, 
Yeah, because I think it's like what you just said about your friend. I've been really passionate about like, yeah, radical history and the history of like people resisting systems of oppression for a really long time, like kind of all of my adult life. And I think that that's really sort of grounding and sort of rooting in terms of none of these projects have ever been total. Whenever you look at something in the past that looks terrible, there are always people resisting, whether that's like in big ways of strikes or, you know, what we would think of as resistance or whether it's just people in their families refusing something or or whatever. Um, And that there's just such a wealth of stuff for us to connect with that kind of affirms life and freedom and togetherness and that's just really beautiful to me. For me, like I, I really like connecting with places, going visiting places, um, especially where things have happened, like historical, uh, like uprisings or like place connection. They're kind of like my sacred sites as well. <laughs> I do also more traditional sacred sites, but I love going to places where there's been these rebellions or connecting with the land there, where it feels like the land is holding this memory of of people resisting and wanting to be in relationship in a different way, and that. Um, yeah, that's part of my practice. Beautiful. Yeah. And more people need to, because really like that's, I think that connection's vital for our, for our survival and thrival. Yeah. This is kind of, we're sort of pivoting away from your course to like thinking about, I'm just curious if you've um, thought about or, or felt about, you know, maybe what gets in the way from so many of us um, feeling a sense of true belonging, including to nature and to plants and fungi and waterways and uh, uh, non-humans yeah like I I think it's connected kind of <laughs> to everything that we're talking about but I think um how most people in kind of I don't know western countries for one of a better word or whatever but are raised the the culture is so heavily individualistic and kind of alienated and that is really affirmed like just this idea that you should be self-sufficient or this the sort of yeah, idea that of separateness is taught um, very extremely from kind of an early age. And I think that is, means, you know, separate from people, but also separate from plants and animals and waters and everything. And I think that mainly kids aren't raised with a sense of my life is utterly dependent on webs of life and death, you know, that like, that I feel like often if we really take in the um, degree to which we're dependent on so many things. If I think about just what I'm like eating and drinking in a day and all the beings involved in that, I feel like if I really connect to that, I just fall to my knees in awe and gratitude or something, you know, like it's, it's so like big and we're just mainly taught to like not connect to that. Um, And so I think that that really affects our sense of kind of belonging in the world. It's almost, we think that we're, somehow these separate beings that get our needs met in this separate way but it's not we're like always 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 connected to everything (laughs) so I think that and I think also just uh because we do live in such an individualistic culture and where care isn't normal um especially beyond the sort of nuclear family people are in surviving a lot you know like trying to survive under capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy and just all the things and that's hard and yeah so I think it's just like culture of sort of alienation and disconnection in general as an ethic as a way of being in the world um is the thing that often needs surmounting or yeah yeah um you know most of my work is grounded in youth liberation and uh, abolishing adult supremacy for this reason because it's we just keep replicating 
and why we keep getting stuck in, in these cycles is because, you know, of this individualizing and atomizing people and not connect, having them feel part of a web of care, of connectivity. I Another Donna Haraway quote that I saw the other day um, that made me think, when you said that, that made me think of her was she was talking about homelessness and displacement around the world. That's like her big thing. She's most, you know, and, and to Lanway, and she brings up that flowers blooming at different times means that insects can't land and build their families. And so we have a homelessness with the insect world and we know what that's going to do to the planet. Right. And it was just such a grounding way to use that kind of human language to insects being displaced and homelessness and I it was so profound <laughs> like like wow so now when I see the the flowers bloom like three months early and that's the first thing I'm thinking of now <laughs> thanks Donna yeah. but it's really yeah. you know it connected me in a way that maybe mm -hmm. I hadn't been connected to um climate chaos and what's happening you know so thanks yeah. for bringing that, opening that up yeah no thank you for that although yeah that's <laughs> right <laughs> like my heart is literally hurting now like thinking about that is just really yeah um, yeah devastating yeah yeah so <laughs> and I mean I'm not even going to go on to a more uplifting question because um you know with the world li literally on fire as we talk I think we're at like the most people ever displaced and so is it mm. I'm just curious, like, is it even naive to have this conversation or, you know, is it what was it's going to save us? Like if we could really break through and push through this, like you just talked about, this siloing us into individual lives. Yeah. In terms of if it's naive for us to have this conversation, like I feel like in a way it would be hubris for us to think it's that, you know, that our conversation <laughs> has these big impacts. But I think that it kind of like I was saying before how like we are always involved in making and unmaking and so I think exploring these things and working towards these things in our um in our individual ways or in our collective ways is really important even when the scale is kind of mind-blowing or heartbreaking kind of like we're talking about but I think with this idea of belonging that for me like when I think about what belonging means or like it as like a political thing I think that belonging is something that just is, that we, that is inherent. We just, we do belong, <laughs> like we are belonging. And the thing that's gone wrong is that we've grown up with the lie of not belonging and of, and we've believed it, most of us, you know, have like believed that there's not, but I think belonging to the earth and to time and to our lineages or to our world cannot be taken away. We just do belong. And so I think that, um, the more that we can find the ways to access that knowing and and act from that place where like we are sort of able to act from that place of belonging the better you know like I do think that's kind of what's needed um I think that I've seen over the years you know through sort of radical subcultures and stuff I was trying to create a sense of belonging around like certain identities or a land project or something like this and it's kind of a forced sense of almost like false belonging that we're deciding we belong and so we belong rather than just acknowledging that we do belong with each other what now what do we want to do now in with that being the baseline you know um and that often when we try to create belonging in a kind of artificial way we can end up with kind of dangerous kind of belonging where it's an in-group and an out-group um which might look like people being kind of 
yeah, the sort of like black sheep idea or the idea of somebody being exiled in a community, but also xenophobia or tightening of the borders or whatever on this sort of national level, this idea that there's belonging of, say, English people in England and it's like exclusionary to like other people or even just thinking of people creating belonging in the classic kind of school bully way or something of you have to sort of go along with it and then you get in with the group. And I think we need to really watch out for that kind of artificial belonging because we're so hungry for it, hungry for a sense of belonging that we might go against our values or ourselves in order to try and create it. But I think when we come from that place of just knowing we belong, um, we can make kind of braver choices. Um, We can recognize that we're kind of responsible for each other and for ourselves and we can be in solidarity and come from that place yeah I might be crying (laughs) so beautiful (laughs) I just feel so um yeah thank you what a gift you've just given to um me like sitting here right now but I'm hoping that the listeners really take this in I'm sure some people it will resonate with but maybe it'll be the first time they've heard it and Mm. what a gift thank you so much I I couldn't agree more also like for me like I think about um places when I because I think it's something that just is but obviously there are moments when I feel it more or like I access it more and I was thinking about like what those are and it's sort of it's funny you're saying that edges like the shoreline I think of those edges kind of in um sort of more like well not really metaphorical but kind of say in like political like action with people like in the streets with people or something like that there's that sense of belonging where we're acting on that sense of belonging to the earth belonging to each other and that feeling of acting in the knowledge that that's true gives me the sense of that like belonging or like when people come together you know if somebody um, is dying or has died and people come together around that or something in these moments of um, almost like edge or liminality or where we kind of like I feel like the belonging kind of reveals itself to be true. Um, and it's not about who's in or out, it's that we're all participating in the knowledge of our togetherness and ongoingness and our belonging. Yeah. I've seen you talk about birch trees a lot, or mm-hmm. um, I have a real love for trees as well. The oak tree is. If I I've been asking people if they were a bloom, what would it be? And um, of course, I'm so mul- you know one of my things is I'm very multiple, so I'm like I have yeah. five blooms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the acorn is really really important. So I'm wondering, like in the context oh. of that, like kind of accessing the always already belonging, mm-hmm. you know, where are some of those places? Yeah, I feel like I'm glad you haven't asked me that bloom question directly because I don't know what I would say to them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think I guess I did just sort of start answering that of the places when I feel that belonging. I think it is when I'm acting in the kind of security of the knowledge that I belong. And so I feel like that's often, yeah, with people and it's often with plants or the ocean or like you said with birch trees I do love birch trees I love 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 hugging birch trees I love thinking about birch trees through time um because they were like after the last ice age they were like one of the first trees that kind of started to kind of grow on the land as the ice receded and kind of created habitat for other plants and animals to come next you know they're very very hospitable (laughs) birch trees I also have two just out my window that I can see all the time these are kind of urban birch trees but I I think about them and their ancestors a lot but yeah I guess for me the thing when I think about like when do I feel most belonging is whenever I'm in a situation where 
I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I feel like I'm exactly where I like should be doing what I should be doing or something, you know. Um, And sometimes that can just be like a really deep conversation with someone and you just it's perfect and you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And um, that feeling of kind of living in that kind of place of. Yeah being in the right place at the right time and sort of having a sense of that whatever it is whether it is through these kind of more intense moments or these kind of mundane but beautiful moments or where we're just acting courageously I think that too is a sense of belonging of um like I belong to you know these things and I I love like the earth or plants and animals and so when I'm acting on that it's a type of courage that feels sort of just like a natural outgrowth of it that feels the same as belonging to me um I don't know if this is what you mean, but I hear like when you're feeling probably most present in the now, like mm-hmm. in this moment. Mm-hmm. So it could be really subtle of just sitting by a birch tree or it can be in a deep conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And also like um, I've actually had some of my I remember one particularly deep spiritual experience I had one time standing in line to pick up a prescription in Walgreens, <laughs> a big pharmacy in the U.S., Um, And I was sort of looking around at everything and I was looking at the plastic packaging and stuff. And then I was sort of imagining where it had all come from, you know, and I was thinking back to its origins as like oil and in the ground and just all these things. And just really thinking that we're never disconnected from it, you know, that things have been like shaped into all sorts of things and capitalism, you know, are terrible (laughs) sort of impacts of them on our bodies and on the earth and stuff is terrible. But we're never out of connection with quote-unquote nature or something you know like that when we're in cities concrete and tarmac and stuff is made from rocks and it's from places and um we can kind of access that anywhere um or you know I'm I'm ill quite a lot <laughs> I've spent quite a lot of time in bed but I'm like still connected when that's happening like with my body or with the cats or um just the house and who made it and just everything you know like that it really is something that can't ever be taken away it doesn't need a sort of pristine beautiful natural environment but they're great too (laughs) and let's make more just as like anti-colonial and anti-capitalist to to think about yeah just to feel that web of connection like deeply even with something like plastic um thanks for sharing that that's uh, it's going to change my whole experience now when I'm in a store (laughs) oh good (laughs) (laughs) and it's true like yeah like that access like I mean what a way to feel a belonging and a deep you know in the every moment um and it's kind of connected to the kind of wrapping up this conversation this beautiful conversation which I don't want to but I I, uh, (laughs) respect your time and and um your your need to be with your birch tree you know and sort of holding these multiple truths of like multiplicity of you know living with different things that maybe cut us off from spending time with people or yeah isolation of individualism or surviving this hellscape that's happening with capitalism like part of this conversation of of that we're asking people is you know what are some of the ways you find thriving amid and through these complex truths I guess like kind of the things I've already been saying you know like the things I feel like things are so devastating like the thing that you just said about you know the insects and sort of that 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 sort of homelessness and then also human homelessness and just just every, everything that's happening right like there's um so much that's devastating all the time and then there's like how the ways that that impacts us in very material real ways you know of 
obviously when there's like the fires and stuff that's impacting uh people in very real ways and then also just the day-to-day survival under capitalism like right now I've been extra sick in the last year since I got COVID last year um and it's really impacted my ability to make money for example like to work and I'm sort of at the moment engaging with some of the government systems for that and it's really uh awful basically you know but I think connecting to all the people throughout time and now who are resisting that and who are like creating something different and who like understand what I'm going through with that because so many people are like we are so in it together you know I think one of like the cruelest things that we can do to ourselves or each other is sort of feel alone in our struggles with it and I think that the way that capitalism has talked about kind of like mental health and stuff like that is as if we have these individual struggles individual problems that can be medicalized and pathologized when I think really it's this isn't really working for anyone and everyone's struggling with it and it's hard and I think that sharing that with each other and being kind of in the acknowledgement and just struggle that it's hard and also that we're working towards doing something different even in small ways I think is what really helps me feel alive and engaged and and honestly pretty joyful a lot of the time despite everything like I yeah connecting with people and plants and animals in my life um is beautiful and can't be taken away you know but yeah a sense that we're kind of in it together and and doing something together however small um is what kind of yeah keeps me like heart open and alive and happy to be here I guess yeah yeah, I mean, it, you, you, it, it is the thread that ran through this whole conversation and it comes back to that kind of unmaking and making world and destruction and creation happening in a holistic way together. And that's that that is like if I could be so bold to say that that's kind of like the thread that runs through your your work, mm-hmm. but also your life. And I think you've given us a lot to think about and mm-hmm. um, to feel like we're not so alone and that we just belong. <laughs> we just, yeah, we do. yeah, it's so beautiful. <laughs> It's so I'm so grateful. Is there anything you'd like to say to that maybe you didn't cover? Or... No, just thank you so much for having, and thank you for these like these questions are just so beautiful as well and like kind of what I most want to be talking about and for us to be sharing ideas around and stuff. So having me on is just really an honor. So thank you. Thanks for listening to On Belonging. This episode featured Sophie Macklin with music by Sauergout. On Belonging is curated by Carla Joy Bergman and Jamie Lee Gonzalez with tech support by Chris Bergman. The show's awesome theme music is by Awareness. On Belonging is a joyful threads and grounded futures creation. Please visit groundedfutures.com for show notes, transcripts, and to read more about On Belonging. Till next time, keep walking, keep listening.